You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, my friend Chuck Adair joins us. Chuck's career has taken some crazy turns. Uh, He's going to tell you a little bit about this story, but just so that you can get a little context before you meet Chuck, uh, he was in full-time ministry. He then went to prison. He's going to tell you that story and what led him there. And uh, now he works with those who are in prison, and very specifically those who have just gotten out of prison. Uh, He's got this great organization that he and his business partner run called Grace Place Properties, an amazing story. Really excited for you guys to get to hear more about that. But uh, Chuck has learned a thing or two about how men grow, some of it from his own personal experience when he was in prison and his growth through that process, but also uh, now even as he continues to work with men uh, in and outside of prison and just in the local church. He's got a lot to say about how men grow. So grab your pen or grab a pen and some paper. He drops some awesome uh, one-liners. I I couldn't write fast enough as I was uh, having a conversation with him. You're really going to enjoy getting to know him and hearing about his story and some of the challenges that he gives for all of us men when it comes to growing and just taking some time to personally reflect and live an authentic, transparent, honest life. So enjoy my conversation with Chuck Adair. Well, Chuck, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have hey, you here thanks, today. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you letting me be here today. I'm really excited. So uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to tell a little bit of your story. You serve in prison ministry. And so what are some of the common themes you see working with men in prison? Yeah, I think a lot of times people think when they think of a prisoner or they think of someone that's incarcerated, they think of the worst of the worst of the worst. And really what I find is it's just brokenness. The consequences of that brokenness are more severe and deeper because illegality is now a part of their story. And because of that, there are consequences that start. But at the end of the day, it is sheer brokenness that that kind of drives everything. And I find myself saying a lot, you know, except for the grace of God there, you know, I'd be in the same shape right now. I mean, I just know how my heart is deceitful and I, and, and they begin to understand they come to those moments Usually over time. It's not instantaneously, but usually over time. Yeah, and you're open about your story that you spent some time in prison yourself. Yeah. And so your faith journey, were you a follower of Jesus before you went to prison, or was this something that happened in prison? Yeah, so I tell people I have three career movements. My first career movement was I I was a minister and preached for almost 17 years for a time. yeah. Uh, but I will sit there. I, I would. I wish sometimes in my in my regeneration, our twelve step recovery program at Watermark, our our my introduction. I wish sometimes I would sit there and say I'm a recovering Pharisee because that's I had a very a, a very great understanding of the requirements of what it meant to be a Christian. But as far as heart transformation, I'm not sure that ever happened. Because of sexual sin, I ended up being in prison. I was there nine and a half years, and in that course of time, I finally surrendered everything. And I remember sitting on the on after reading Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding after my young wife had left me, which was the reason that moment happened. At that moment, I sat there and went, man, I don't know how to do that. 
I've never done that. And as a, as a result of that, I just I pray a prayer that I started that day. That was May of 2000. God, teach me what it means to trust you today, because otherwise I will not do that. I will trust myself. And, and that has led to kind of combining of two worlds, which is ministry, which, I've, which I did vocationally, and now prison, which I made a promise to guys that I was locked up with. I'm going to come back and try because so many have no advantages, they have no connections, they have none of those things that are there. So how do you how do you tie those things together? You come and be the body of Christ while they're locked up and you create pathways for them to come into the church where they can actually be fully restored citizens. That's the yeah. hope. Yeah. In prison, then this may be a little bit off off like what we've got written down in some of the other questions, but it is just something I'm very curious to know. In prison, do people talk about why they're there? So some do. I mean, some are very open. I was. I just felt like that on, and when, when I had that moment with the Lord in 2000, I'd been locked up four years at that point, so still had quite a bit more in my prison journey to go through. Yeah. I just thought for my own health and healing, I'm going to do that because my crime was a sexual crime. That's not a really popular thing to talk about in prison. In right. fact, some will sit there and say it's dangerous. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I found it to be freeing. And I, f- I find the guys that can really just talk about their brokenness, regardless of what it is and how deep it is, I find them to get healthier quicker because they're just unburdened. They, they don't have this thing that they're trying to shield. Yeah, that's good. So a lot of your ministry, what you're doing in, in helping prisoners with just brokenness, and so this is relevant whether you're in prison or not, For sure. this connection between our brokenness and some father wounds. Absolutely. What are some of the most common father wounds you see out there? So the, the two that I think come to mind quickly for me is, number one, it's abandonment. So many of the men that I deal with on a regular basis, their father was nowhere in their life. Or if he was in their life, it was nominally so. They were raised by sometimes a mom, a lot of times by a grandmother or an aunt or someone else that was significant in their life. But their dad had really no connection with them. A lot of the guys I've talked to said, I didn't meet my father until I was an adult. So the abandonment issues are a huge one. And then the second one, I think, that is maybe not as common but still equally profound is the abuse issue. They've had men in their life that have at least been verbally abusive to them. And they've said things like, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You know, I don't know why we had you. You were a mistake. I've heard those terms be said to me and just sometimes with great tears. Because at the same time that though they realized it's happened, it's never been processed and never been dealt with. And so those that brokenness drives so many different other issues that have led to crimes and incarceration because at the end of the day, they said the people that were supposed to think I was significant didn't, so why should I worry about it? Yeah, yeah. Was this something that you saw in your own journey as well? Yeah, so my dad was the number one country music DJ on the number one country music station in Nashville for almost 30 years, afternoon drive time. Yeah. And as a result of that, he chose that lifestyle. And I, the consequences of that were for him, seven failed marriages— and the relationship between his only child and himself, which was nominal at best and not something that was there at the most. And so he decided to pursue success and all of the things that are there, and he loved the idea of being famous. And I've come to understand, man, fame comes by spending time with people that really don't care that much about you at the expense of those that do. Yeah. And so and that was his choice, and, that, and that's what he did. 
Then the last 15 years of his life, he almost lived as a hermit. I mean, there was the consequences of lifestyle choices that he had made that really had damaged the most significant relationships in his life, created distance between us, created distance between everyone else in his life. He lived as a hermit. I got a call from a chaplain in the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department that had come and done a wellness check, and he was dead. And, uh, you know, I remember walking into his apartment that was packed with all of this stuff, and I, I remember sitting down and looking at all of it, overwhelmed, because I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do with all this right, stuff, right. and thinking, is this all that's left of this life? And then I thought about it in my life. I went, man, I don't even really know who he was. I don't really know significantly. I knew a lot about him, but I'm not sure I ever truly knew him. So yeah, it certainly is something that played out in my journey. And, and I will tell you those abandonment issues because I'm right in the, right in the crux of all of that. Yeah. That's uh, uh, interesting. So, you know, in your own life and then with all the men that you're helping right now, I mean, beginning to work on a father wound, like how, how does somebody start working on that? Yeah, and I think it goes back to some of the basics of recovery from anything. Okay. And number one is you just got to admit it's real, and you got to admit it's happened, and you got to be able to sit there and just put it out there. And I think the hardest thing for us to do is actually do that. You know, we, we're so used to burying those kind of things and not really dealing with any of that, that admitting is, is hard. And then I think after that's done, it's the willingness to be open, to be authentic, to be transparent, and to be accepting of the fact that, man, this hurts. This is something I can't get back. Yeah, that's good. And so what do I do with this? How do I not, you know, pay this forward? How do I let this stop with me? And how do I with my own children or grandchildren or the significant people in my life, how do I not let this cycle of destruction continue? Now, if uh in your personal opinion, if healing from a father wound, uh let's just say it goes from 0 to 100%, right? 100% healing. What percentage is just this realization and connecting the dots that I have the wound? Is it more than 50%, less than 50 I, I think it's very? more than 50%, okay. and I'll tell you why. Because I think a lot of times, I mean, in my own life, for instance, when people would ask me about my dad, I would talk about his career. Okay. I would talk about, and I, I, so basically what I was doing was perpetuating the lie, yeah. which is, man, look at this, look at the significance, look at how good all of this is. But I wasn't talking about man, you don't understand the damage it's done behind the scenes. You don't understand the lack of connection that is there. And so for me to be able to talk about it for the first time and really sit there and walk out and go, okay, here it is. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's the ugly. Here's, here, here's, you know, and I wanted to have that kind of balance. My dad was a broken man that did the best, you know, Honestly, the same thing had happened to him with his dad. And so you just saw this this cycle continue on. And so admitting it and coming to that, I think once that happens, it's a lot easier to t- kind of take the next steps of healing. Yeah. And also, I mean, there may be somebody listening right now that's sitting there going through their database of their relationship with their dad and going, okay, no abandonment, no abuse. I mean, yeah, he was a little weird sometimes. Maybe, you know, he'd wear socks and sandals. Sure. Or, you know, yeah. little, All the little, things we think about, little right? Little things like that, you know. But, I mean, our earthly fathers are a mere reflection of our perfect heavenly father. Like, every dad is going to fall short in some instance, right? And just natural relationships. For We're sure. all going to be hurt by people at some point, and our parents uh, are a part of all that. And so it's just healthy sometimes to go back and explore those relationships, right? Because, uh, like you just said, a lot of men... 
we just kind of keep moving forward, don't think about it, and it is good to go back and spend some time reflecting, and it may not be bad, right? It may be... Uh, listen, there could be so many good things about it. I mean, I I know a lot of guys who've had great experiences with their dad, perfect experiences, of course not. As yeah, you said, yeah. that's not possible. And yet, at the same time, there is so much more good than there has been hurt. But I think investing in all of it, being willing to take a step into all of it and sit there and go... I didn't understand when this happened. Yep. Help me understand that. That's good. Because at the end of the day, what we're hoping to do is in our own lives and as men that have children or grandchildren, and I work with a lot of folks, you know, and one of the dorms I'm associated with has 58 men and has over 170 children attached to those 58 men. So you've got these things that are being, you know, paid forward and you're having to kind of sit there. How do we help? this not continue? How do we help those conversations begin? And are we willing to actually take that risk? Because that's a risk. When you're willing to talk like that, it's a risk for everybody involved. That's good. All right, let's go jump back into just some of the ways you're seeing men grow. But what would you say biggest difference between a man who's in jail and one who's not? Uh, The fact that everything about them, every broken thing about them is now on display. And I think, you know, I, I think... When you, when you look at what Jesus says about the heart, for instance, you know, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you know, it's, it's murder. So we've got, you know, all of us have the, I'm driving in Dallas traffic. I can be a serial killer because my heart gets at <laughs> yeah. that point where it, where it gets kind of, kind of rough. And so, you know, it is, it is those things that, you know, in polite society that, that just doesn't come out. Everything in their life is on display. Every broken moment they've had, everybody knows about. And frankly, they're judged for it. And it makes it difficult because, you know, you're already dealing with so much stuff. And now you're having to deal with how do I, how do I deal with this X on my back? How do I deal with the things that are going on? And so I think that's a big deal and yeah. one that has to kind of be addressed and, and dealt with. Now, you and I both obviously uh, being involved in local church ministry, you'll talk to a gentleman who is uh, remorseful of a sin they've committed in the past. It doesn't cross the line of, being illegal, so there's no legal ramifications, but they're still left with this feeling of how do I pay this back, right? That that guilt, that remorse. Are there men in prison that would go, okay, I've been found guilty, and now I'm paying it back to, to society? Right. Do they feel a little self-righteous with that or, or, or leaving of just going, hey, I'm, I'm good now. I got a clean slate again. Does that ever happen? Oh, man. I, I think the idea – the psychologists will talk about um, a term. They call it victim stance. And sometimes a perpetrator sees themselves as a victim, and this is what – hey, this is what the state, this is what the government has done to me, and they see themselves as a victim. And the truth of the matter is when a person sees themselves in that way, their emotional growth at that point is completely stunted. They will never go forward until they can sit back and go, you know what? Yes, this is bad. And there are some things as a result of that, but I'm a victimizer. And when you can come to, I think when we all can come to the understanding, man, sin causes us to have victims. And and part of our job is to to know the difference between regret and repentance. That you know you can you can feel bad about something that you've done, but repenting from it is I'm going to turn from that, and now I'm going to turn and follow Christ, and I'm going to do whatever is necessary. If there's reparations I I need to make, I will do those things. I'm willing to take the next steps to be sure I from 
from everything in my power, I can't control everything. Yep. But the parts I can control, I'm willing to jump in and get that done. That's great. That's great. Okay, you know, you've led so many discipleship groups over the years. If you were going to just put a few common factors that lead to men growing, yeah, top two or three that come to mind? Top two always are authenticity and transparency. of the time. I think that if that isn't the thing that's led with, I don't think those groups are safe. Mm. And and safety comes when when you know the worst about me and you know that, man, I've got as many or more struggles than you do. Now you have the ability to sit there and go, okay, I'm safe to vest here. I'm safe to jump in the middle of this and really talk about my stuff and realize there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, that Scripture is going to be there to guide us and kind of keep us on the rails and help us take the next right steps. But that's the kind of thing that that we really need to be a part of and be willing to do. If those two things are present, then those groups automatically get healthier in the spot. I think a third thing I might add to that besides authenticity and transparency is really truth telling and honesty. Mm. You know, it is so interesting. You know, you can't you, you can't be somewhat honest. It's kind of like being somewhat pregnant. You, you know, you either are honest or you're not honest, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it is that That's willingness good. to kind of sit back and talk about it and say, okay. As far as I can, this is everything. Yep. There is nothing left. I, I want to be open and authentic, but I also want to be honest about and And I, part of that honesty is saying, and I really don't want to be talking about this. It's yeah. really kind of driving me crazy. Yeah. The courage that it takes there. I mean, you know, we think about the typical man and we want to be courageous and we think about going off to war, scaling a mountain, you know, starting a business, doing something, whatever it is, it's very courageous. Those are all well and good, right? Sure. And those are acts of valor and acts of courage. But to be authentic, transparent, and honest, uh, that takes a tremendous amount of courage. Am I right? Yeah. And and I, you know, John Wayne, I've got a I've got a plaque that's on my wall in my office, and he made a statement. He said, "Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway." Yeah. And I think about that a lot because a lot of times we think of courage as this: there's no there's no fear, there's none of those things that are there. Listen, when you're about to go share your junk and the worst of your worst, there is fear there. There's the the wondering. There's all of those things. But the willingness to step out and say, okay, regardless of the fact that I'm afraid, I know I've got to take these next steps. If I'm going to get healthy, if the Lord's going to be able to do the work in my in my heart that I want him to do, I've got to take these next steps. That's really good. So on the flip side of that, uh, what will cause a man to stall out on growth? Yeah, and I think a lot of it is the fact that we have this tendency to want to self-protect. And when self-protection is kind of in the middle of everything that we're doing and we're willing, you know, I'm more afraid of what you think about me than I am about telling you the truth. I'm more, I'm more concerned about my position than I am sitting there and saying, hey, I need to let you know something and this is, this is what it's looked like. I think when we're in that self-protection mode, I think we stall. I just don't think we can grow because we have competing interests. It's not about our health anymore. It's about I've got my own idol when it comes to my when it comes to my image and what I think. And I think that's one of the things that we have trouble with at times. You know, we are children of God. We are image bearers of God. All of those things are true. But sometimes those idols that get on the throne of our heart kind of distract us and they're a counterfeit for what God's best is. Yeah. Did you see that? Is this self-protection 
inside the walls of a prison, is there still a temptation for that? Or oh, is it my word, even Because yeah. you just said, like, everything's on display, and are you kind of like, hey, everybody knows everything, here I am. Or is there still it's some still, of that? Listen, I, it's still there even among the most mature of the people that I deal with, just like it's still there among the most mature of the people I deal with in what we would call the free world. Right, right. You know, it's, it, it, it goes on everywhere. We always have to be on guard against that tendency to, hey, I, I don't want you to think bad about me. So, I you know, I won't tell you. We will sit there and say I won't tell you a lie. But, you know, a, a partial truth is a whole lie. Hmm. And so That's we're good. sitting there and, and we have that moment where we're just – we're protecting, and we're not, you know, verbally lying, but we're also not saying what's really going on, and we are deceiving that person, and that is damaging to our heart. What would you say to the man that's maybe listening, going, "Hey, this is all well and good, authenticity, transparency, truth telling." Listen, I'm I'm not the kind of person that breaks the law. I can, you know, this is not me. I I, I don't know uh, if I would ever do something like that. That we're would require me to live with this radical transparency. What would you say to that man? Yeah, I would sit there and say, and yet we break the law every day. All right. We, we, you know, we, you we saw sit me th- drive in this morning. Yeah. Hey, listen, yeah. I, you know, if you saw me drive in That's this morning, right. you'd understand the <laughs> same thing, right? It was, it was me that cut you off in traffic. <laughs> You're right. But, I, but I think that moment is the thing. We break the law every day. We just don't. You, you know, we get mad because other people sin differently than we do. Ah, that's good. And, and I think that's at good. the at the end of the day, what we have to come to the realization of is, man, sin affects all of us. We're all involved in it. You know, Romans 3 is still correct. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What do we do with that? Well, what we do with it is we understand we, we keep our accounts short. We confess often. We allow We don't allow those things to build up, and we let our hearts stay open. Yep. That's really good. What I love about this in your message, Chuck, is obviously we're talking a lot about the context of your story in prison ministry and, the, and you specifically working with men and families when they get out of prison. But I could have, I mean, any discipleship pastor from any local church anywhere around the world, and they probably would be saying the exact same thing you're sure. saying, right? And so you, you obviously are honing in on a demographic that the Lord has... Your your story is there, and you're you're reaching out to them. Uh, but these these principles are, regardless of where you are with your relationship with the state, oh, well, these I, are great principles absolutely. just for growth. And, and I would sit there and say, any church that practices this becomes a healthy church. Any family that practices this becomes a healthy family, and, and, and even the corporate world. You know, companies that live by these principles walk through these kind of things where, you know, honesty and openness, transparency is a part of their company culture. It doesn't really matter what group we're talking about. God's truth is God's truth, and it applies, and this applies everywhere. Absolutely. All right, let's close with this. What would you encourage men with uh, from your personal story? If there is something in your life that you are hiding, you know, you're only as sick as your secrets. And if there is something in your life that needs to be confessed, make haste to do it. Because if you don't, you just get sicker and sicker and sicker. And and the truth of the matter is, I lie to me better than I lie to anybody else. And we will start telling ourselves those lies, and we'll start believing them. Okay, tell me uh, who is a gentleman you're working with right now 
that's got you the most encouraged? Just give us give us a highlight. Yeah, a good story. I'll tell you his name. His name's Lawrence Roberts, and so he came out of the faith based dorm in um, at Hutchins, where where we we'd spent probably two and a half, maybe three years with him. He's come outside. And Hutchins is Hutchins is a, is a state is a state facility, yeah, okay. state jail. And so he'd come out, and he has been that guy that's just lived out loud. And so he's you know he's working, he's doing all the things, but he's stable because. He's confessing. He he's got a mom. He could have gone home to um, Corpus Christi, but decided not to because his mom was using, his brother was using substances. They were all in the middle of that thing. He said, "I knew I couldn't do it." And he, I've heard him on the phone talking to him. He says, "I love you with all my heart, but I can't do that." And you know that takes an inordinate amount. You talk about courage. Courage, yeah. That takes an inordinate amount of courage to, to not steps. go back to that hometown with the people you love and, and get caught right back up yeah. in the thing that got you locked up and a part of what your story had been. You know, it really is changing playgrounds and playmates Amen. sometimes, that, and that's yeah. what he did. And what a picture of repentance! I'm Absolutely. not going back there. I'm going over here, and still reaches out talks to them every day, encourages them with Scripture every single day. You know, when the Lord gets hold of a heart, the Lord gets hold of a heart. That's awesome. All right, how can people find out more about you? Where would you want them to go? Yeah, if you want a, a, a transitional property that uh, my partner and I run in southwest Dallas County, it's called Grace Place Properties, so you can go to graceplaceproperties.org, spell all three of those words together, and you can find out all the information you need. I love it. Chuck, thanks so much for being on the Better Man Podcast. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. Chuck, thanks so much for jumping in the studio, having that conversation today, sharing so authentically your story and just all the things you've learned. I mean, I just kept writing things down. Here are a couple of my one-liners that I love. The partial truth is a whole lie. I mean, come on. I'm giving you credit for that now every time I quote that. I don't care if you learned that from a bumper sticker or somebody else shared that with you. That's gold, my friend. We just get mad when people sin differently than we do. Come on. That was a little too convicting, but just some great stuff. So I am proud to call you a friend, Chuck. What you're doing is amazing. Keep it up. Those of you all that want to follow Chuck or just learn more about his organization, Uh, I'm going to say it again here. It's graceplaceproperties.org. Spell out all those words, graceplaceproperties.org. You can learn all about what he and uh, his business partner are doing down there. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Today's episode was mixed and edited by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Thanks so much for listening to the Better Man Podcast. That's all we got for today. We'll talk to you again next time.